Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Between them. Welcome in, Gator fans, to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your hosts, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. Presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast with Zach Albaverde and Graham Hall here to recap Florida's 31-19 win at Tennessee, give you a look ahead to Florida's regular season finale against LSU and all the news right now surrounding this football team. Graham, welcome back into the Gainesville Sun offices. How's it going, my friend? Good to be here, Zach. Obviously good to be here with you. I got to say... A little bit disappointed in some of my predictions from the first week. I'm going to go ahead and just eat that crow right off the jump and get it out of the way because I was saying they should beat down Tennessee. They should want to go in there and embarrass the the heck out of this program. And then I was kind of talking about the rainy conditions and the history, and and kind of none of that came to fruition. So i got to admit that I feel a little bit disappointed, kind of like I struck out here in my first at-bat. If you predicted that Kyle Trask would have a big day, and he did. Another 400-yard performance on the four-touchdown performance. But hearing from Dan Mullen after the game and then certainly on Monday and his offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson, I think one of the talking points from that offensive performance wasn't so much trash, but they got kind of barraged with some questions about their running game or or lack thereof. And I wrote about that yesterday on Gatorsports.com. And it's basically a a moot point with Mullen because – the Gators have the number one passing offense in the country, and it's because of numbers that Trask keeps putting up. He leads the nation in touchdown passes, but the Gators rank 105th nationally in rushing offense. So that balance, of course, is not there, and that's always the goal for every offense, every coordinator, every head coach. But at the end of the day, as Mullen has said repeatedly, they're going to play to the strengths of their team. And especially on offense right now, that's that potent passing game. And they took advantage of it once again in Knoxville, and I think you're going to continue to see them ride that moving forward. Absolutely. It should be no surprise if you've been listening to everything Dan Mullen has said since he got to Gainesville. When we asked him about his offense, what, how he would describe it, he kind of said, it's based on my personnel. I tailor my offense around what my personnel does best. And even in this strange year where they didn't have spring, they didn't have fall camp, they realized, or they, they obviously knew, that the offensive line was not going to make those improvements in the run blocking without that necessary development time. And we knew the last year that they were kind of struggling. Yeah, they got some new pieces, but not the monumental improvement and certainly not their best weapon, which we knew was Kyle Pitts. And look at the ascension that Kadarius Tony's made. So Dan Mullen's not going to go out there and force the run and force Florida to do something that they're just not really good at doing. And anyone expecting otherwise, I don't think is either been listening or they're really not one of those fans wanting Florida to go out there and put up Heisman Trophy-like numbers. You mentioned Kyle Trask's statistics. Absolutely impressive. No doubt about it. But still questions about inefficiency? 
failing to capitalize, and then late in that game, giving up the two late touchdowns really made it look closer than it actually was. I could understand why people would have wanted Florida to have a run game there in the fourth quarter so that you do control the tempo and not let Tennessee get those that long 90-plus yard drive. And just not being able to do that is a little bit concerning, but they're not going to go out there and establish the run from the first drive. Yeah, and Mullen... And Brian Johnson did say that if they felt like they had to put together a game plan where they were going to focus on that, that they could. But Mullen also said, hey, if I came out there and we ran it 40 (laughs) times and only threw for 120 yards, you guys would be like, what are you doing? Social media would kill him. Yeah, they'd be like, what are you doing? So at the end of the day, this is what they're going to continue to do. I think Florida fans need to get used to it. Uh, Malik Davis only had two carries, netted no yards, and he got the start at running back. Um, Damian Pierce had five carries for five yards and then Naquan Wright four carries for two yards and he got that fumble that fortunately the refs called him down on but at the end of the day you look at the news this week of the guys that got named to semifinalist lists and two of those guys are on the offensive side in Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and then you also got Kyrie Elam and Evan McPherson who were recognized but you mentioned the defensive performance uh Graham and I, I guess you know one of the bright spots from that in Knoxville was Ventrell Miller. Uh, another game where he exceeded cool. double digit tackles. He finished with twelve and a sack, and that earned him SEC Defensive Player of the Week. And he's really had a special season as a senior, a guy that had to step into a really big role filling in for David Reese. And I think he's done that successfully. Absolutely, you and I spoke frequently throughout the off season about how we just really didn't understand how many people expected this defense to not miss a beat despite losing guys like John Grenard, Jabari Zaniga, C.J. Henderson. I had my doubts. I know you had your doubts, but it seemed like the public perception just expected that transition to continue. There to be a seamless improvement for guys, no drop-off as if you're going to replace a first-round defensive back and, and a guy who's balling out there with the Texans. And you look around, and that's just it's just not that easy. And then those who cover the program know that NFL draft picks aren't the most telling way to tell the importance of a guy. And I think a guy like David Reese epitomizes that. Yeah, his game isn't really suited for what where the NFL is going right now, but we know there was a reason, Zach, he had that nickname The Professor, because whenever the play call was unclear for a guy, or it goes in too fast, there's a lack of communication, or as we're seeing this season, someone telling guys to get set, who you're covering, someone's uncovered, that was often David Reese's job. And yeah, there were some bumps and bruises in filling that transition along the way, but Ventrell Miller right now absolutely stepping up for this Florida front seven, Zach. Yeah, and, and he was he was a guy that stood out on, on Saturday and I think Trey Dean had a good game. And even though I will say there were times there, I think it was a drive actually where he had two missed tackles in the same possession. And he kind of bounced back from that. And that, that next drive, he came in there and um, got pressure on, on a safety blitz. And he's really looked good in, in doing that. And they needed him to step up because they had two uh, safeties down in Sean Davis and Rashad Torrance, who Mullen said on Monday, both of those guys uh, are supposed to be questionable for the LSU game. They're hoping to get back Trent Whittemore, the wide receiver, right here out of Gainesville, Florida. But it looks like Jeremiah Moon is going to miss his fifth straight game uh, maybe hoping to get him back for the SEC championship, but they've had to uh, pick up the pieces. The one good thing, though, is they haven't had a lot of injuries, Graham. Long-term, 
knock on wood, and that's helped them, no doubt. I mean, as, as much struggles as they've had or inconsistencies that they've showed defensively, there are some guys that have come on. I mean, we mentioned Ventro Miller. I think Brent Cox Jr. had a really good game against Tennessee, and he's continued to improve. And Zachary Carter, man, I mean, back at that defensive end spot where everybody knew was the position that suited him best, he really showed up against that freshman quarterback, Harrison Bailey, and cost him a whole bunch of fits off the edge. Absolutely. I also was impressed with what I saw at a Gervin Dexter. Yeah, kind of limited action, but able to get pressure, free up Zachary Carter and Cox a few times. And, and then you mentioned that buck position that certainly has taken a hit with Jeremiah Moon going down, but uh, Diabate, yeah. these last couple weeks especially, you know, I'd mentioned a few times earlier that those guys, Diabate, Amari Bernie, they caught some heat at the beginning of the season, especially after that Texas A&M game, but they owned it and they came out and said, we're going to re- respond. We're going to improve. Bernie has absolutely done that. And Diabate these last two weeks, I mean, his closing speed is tremendous. And when he's able to pick off passes as well and, and drop back in coverage, it, it justifies why Florida has cross-trained at multiple positions and why they brought those guys into the program. Because like you said, they haven't had many injuries, but one can strike at any moment. And you got to have a guy like Diabate or Trey Dean, a guy who started as a freshman in that secondary and now is your scout team safety in a sense and has the ability to come in. I think that's kind of what Florida fans are a little bit, I don't want to say spoiled by, but they think that's the expectation now. And in reality, that's a luxury. Yeah, no doubt, Graham. And Texas A&M, you mentioned, has the luxury of being off this weekend as their game against Ole Miss has been postponed due to COVID-19. And I guess it's fair to say probably canceled because I don't think there's any way that they're going to play now. And for Florida fans looking at the Aggies schedule and maybe hoping for an upset down the stretch. That game against the Rebels was the one that was probably going to happen uh, for A&M. So they, they get a chance to kind of now sit back and, and let the, the season play out. They will play on December 19th. But for Florida, they just have to take care of business now. they got to take care of LSU this Saturday before their matchup in Atlanta against the top-ranked Tide. We're going to get to this first break. When we come back on the other side, Graham and I will discuss some of the coaching news rumblings, interviews that have happened here in the past week and then in our final segment we'll talk some Florida recruiting and the impact of the early signing period as the Gators get ready for that while also preparing for Alabama we'll be right back after this break Gator fan who believes saving money is better? Join ViStar and save up to $5,000 in closing costs when you buy or refinance a home. The ViStar No Closing Costs Mortgage has a great rate, no hidden fees, and like the name says, no closing costs up to $5,000. At ViStar, we never forget that it's your money. Proud partner of the Florida Gators. Equal housing opportunity insured by NCUA. All loans subject to credit approval. Offer not available on VA and FHA mortgages. For more information, visit ViStarCU.org. The holidays can definitely add some unwanted stress. These days, everything is go, go, go. Non-stop hustle has taken over, and it's kind of a lot. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the cans and bottles even turn blue when chilled to perfection. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. Cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. So it's actually made to chill. As the games are getting hotter, reach for the mountain cold refreshment of a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors delivered to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options near you. 
So when you want to reset your busy life, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Bring game day tailgates home this season after a stop at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Stock up your huddle with beer, hard seltzers, your favorite wine, or something sparkling. ABC is Florida family-owned and has been getting Gator fans ready for kickoff since 1936. Head inside one of their 125 stores around the state or try their curbside service by ordering online at abcfws.com. ABC Access loyalty members can save $10 on wine, 10% on beer and hard seltzers, and earn points toward $5 coupons. ABC, always be celebrating. Welcome back to the Gator Sports Podcast with Zach and Graham. And after the game Saturday, of course, there were a lot of comments about the win and what it meant to win the SEC East, but Mullen... Graham was also asked some questions out of left field. Uh, and I, I and our friend Edgar Thompson was kind of just jokingly saying, hey, I heard you're going to Texas. And, of course, Mullen sounded like that was news to him. But he has been mentioned, linked, what have you, as a possible candidate there if the Longhorns decide to move on from Tom Herman. Now, they got a big win this past Saturday. But Mullen kind of shut it down. I don't, I don't know if you could officially say that, but – from everything that we've heard and, and read now, I think there's been some reports that that's not really uh, in all likelihood something that would ever happen. Yeah, Zach, he kind of did give a clear answer to that. And while we all know that coaches, you know, the ultimate goal is to get to the NFL, I think that Dan Mullen is pretty happy with what he's built here at Florida. And he expressed as much. He, he said that I'm happy being the head coach of Florida right now. And while some people have looked into those answers and saying, oh, this man wants a little more money, a little bit more leverage, I I think that that's as clear of an answer as you're going to get in this business. Sure. Where every single year you have to evaluate the landscape of not just the college jobs, but the NFL jobs. And and it's not just exclusive to Dan Mullen, as we know. It's Todd Grantham. And as we're finding out recently, it's Brian Johnson. And these are this business. You want your assistants and you want your head coaches to prosper. You want them to be desirable. And when they're getting interviews and they're getting respect, it only makes your program look better. So absolutely, Dan Mullen is flattered by the NFL interest. Scott Strickland has to be flattered that Mullen is garnering interest as well because it shows that Florida consistently hires coaches who have NFL aspirations and then within three, four years even are getting called about those jobs. That's absolutely how you want your program to be seen. And anyone who's worried about Dan Mullen leaving is probably just a Florida fan not wanting the good times to end. Yeah, and and look, at the end of the day, this is not going to be the first time that his name gets mentioned with a potential job opening or an actual job opening, as long as he's the head coach at Florida. But it'll have to be four programs like a Texas, like a USC. Notre Dame. The, those the, the only ones that would even compare to Florida from a prestige standpoint. But at the end of the day, and this is just my opinion, maybe the opinion of many others out there, I don't think Dan Mullen is leaving Florida for any school at all. If he leaves, it's for the NFL. Absolutely. He's not going to leave Florida unless someone writes a ridiculous check that he can't turn down. But at the end of the day, as you mentioned, Graham, that relationship that he has with Scott Strickland, if any program is trying to come and poach Mullen away, he's going to do pretty much everything that he has to to keep him there. And it was funny, as he was mentioning the coaching carousel and everything happening with this year and how ADs actually, and Mullen gave them advice even though he acknowledged that they probably don't want it, 
he did say that they maybe need to be a little bit more cautious about pulling the trigger because of everything that coaches have had to go through this year. And then jokingly said, I think I'm going to be okay here at Florida. We'll see. I'll be in orange and blue next year if it, you know it's up to Scott. <laughs> and then Strickland just jumped into the Zoom camera and, and, and gave a thumbs up. So that, that was a pretty funny exchange. But Mullen did say, because he was asked directly after all the Texas talk, have you been approached by any NFL teams about an opportunities? And he specifically said, no, I have not but did acknowledge, hey, they're still going on their seasons right now. And that's when he said the comments that you mentioned, Graham, about being happy at Florida and the fact that he's competing for a championship and he's got this program where he wants it. That AD-coach relationship, I think, is undervalued outside of programs because so often you may see a new AD come in and a coach who previously thought that they were safe is all of a sudden looking over their shoulder. And that is going to affect your day-to-day preparation when you feel like you have to check in with your boss, go through them. You don't have full autonomy. And you sometimes can't put a price on that comfort. Dan Mullen has that right now. And we have seen him exude that confidence, have a lot of control for someone who's in their third year at a program. Yes, the second longest tenured SEC head coach. But keeping it in perspective, he has not been here for more than a half decade. And to see some of these decisions and some of the things he's already said shows that that's something Scott Strickland has allowed him to have. And especially in this year, Zach, where COVID has required coaches to answer questions about medical decisions and injuries, in a sense, way more than they're ever comfortable with. There is something desirable about the NFL as a coach because you don't really have to deal with the rest of the, excuse my French here, crap that college coaches have to deal with. Smoozing with parents, recruiting. Boosters. Boosters, yes. Scheduling conflicts. Spring speaking tours. I mean, you could make a case that these coaches are are underpaid in a sense. You could make a case for that. In the NFL, you don't have to deal with all that. Ask Spurrier. He said it as well. Well, I wouldn't make a case for that. I think they get paid enough to do all that stuff that they have to do. Um, But but to your point, I do think that that's what would make the NFL appealing to Mullen is because he wouldn't have to deal with any of that. It would just be game planning, football, breaking down film, and those are all the things that he excels at. And not that he doesn't excel at all those other things. He's a great public speaker and a great person to sit in a living room with recruits, but he wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, I will say I don't think he's worried about that now. That's I mean, he is trying to get this program to the top. Bigger he's trying to right beat now. Nick Saban. He's trying to compete against Kirby Smart and all these programs that are coming into Florida trying to recruit, which we'll talk about in this final segment. But it's something that we at least need to acknowledge and I think prepare Florida fans for the possibility in the very near future that this could happen. Uh, hopefully it won't be until Florida can win an SEC championship or potentially win a national championship or at least make a college football playoff appearance. And that's Mullen's focus at the end of the day. But as long as he keeps having success as long as his teams and more importantly his offenses keep putting up numbers those premier programs and those NFL organizations are going to continue to come calling and a lot of that success is due in part at least here at Florida the last few years to Brian Johnson who's been his quarterback coach and this year officially the offensive coordinator although he's been calling plays since he got to Gainesville he got his first interview Graham for a head coaching opportunity, as we've all seen by now. He uh, sat down with the athletic director at 
South Carolina, Ray Tanner had a face-to-face meeting, but the Gamecocks elected to hire Shane Beamer, the son of former Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer, and uh, not a surprising move considering the fact that he used to be in Columbia as an assistant. He's got a really long track record at some of the stops that he's made and some of the programs that he's coached at, but the fact that Johnson got an interview shows kind of where he's ascended to in the coaching ranks. Absolutely. Beamer, I believe, 10 years older than Johnson right now. So to be considered in that conversation as a yeah. very young head coach. And a guy who's been at Georgia, Oklahoma, uh, South Carolina. I mean, he's, he's a guy been, with a pedigree. Yeah. You know, this is not a knock on Brian Johnson whatsoever in losing out on this job. It just shows that there is still work to be done. And, and you mentioned the coaching carousel. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of guys who lose their jobs elsewhere or are deserving assistance and they're in the mix every single year and and you look at some of the options that South Carolina was looking at mid-major head coaches as well who had established winning records I would be surprised if Brian Johnson's first opportunity was in the SEC as a head coach unfortunately but like what you said him getting interest just shows the respect that he has in the profession right now. And you can't really argue with that. Uh, You look at some of the quarterbacks that he has developed, and you go look at how he's finished as a recruiter. Uh, It's hard not to argue that he deserves at least the opportunity to build up some program that is a little bit down right now. And I I don't know, like I said, if it's going to be in the SEC right away. Maybe it could be Vanderbilt, you know, still looking for – a head coach right now as well, right? I think that he will be looking for the right opportunity. I definitely think he would have taken the South Carolina job. Oh, had to. Had he gotten offered it. But I I will say kudos to him, and it's not surprising, but that he did make the career move and choice to come to Florida when he was already the offensive coordinator at Houston. Because when he came here, he lost that title officially. Even though he continued to call plays, it was – A step down, maybe in terms of job title, but a step up in terms of the stage that he was on and what he's been able to do, how he's been able to build his resume. And from a quarterback coaching standpoint and development standpoint, it's pretty impressive. I mean, Dan Mullen gets all the credit, but he was their position coach for Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. De'Eric King at Houston, when he first started playing quarterback, Brian was coaching him. And then he comes to Florida turns around Felipe Franks, and then develops Kyle Trask, who's setting every freaking school and SEC record that there is. That's saying a lot for him, man. I mean, that is a really impressive resume that he's put together. This is not going to be his last interview. And I think before Mullen goes anywhere or even continues to get mentioned for some of these jobs potentially in the NFL, I think Brian will be long gone before that. I do too. I mean, it's a small sample size, but one of these teams is eventually going to bank on that turning into some longevity at the position when it comes to developing players. And you mentioned leaving a guy like Derek King at Houston. That is absolutely a risk. You're leaving a proven product to come play for a guy like, yeah, Felipe Franks, that there were still questions about him. I mean, he left Derek King to go coach Felipe Franks. He embraced the the opportunity. He embraced the challenge. And that's kind of what you want out of a head coach, someone who is not going to take the complacent proven product in a sense, and especially in this day and age, Zach, when the transfer portal has run amok and this year where there's free transfers, you could make a case that 
jobs where a high-profile quarterback are going to transfer to are going to be more alluring. And Florida yeah. just has not had that. They don't really look for that under Dan Mullen. If they're going to bring someone in through the transfer portal, I know that Demarcus Bowman is an exception in a sense, but they're usually bringing in defensive tackles, offensive linemen, not really those high-value prospects that make you want to pick up your family and move across the country. On top of that, you're taking a demotion. So I think you can make a case that Brian Johnson has already embraced challenges ahead, and one of these teams is going to give him a chance to embrace the challenge of being a head coach. Yeah, and again, I, I think that if he's still at Houston and is still the O.C., He's probably not getting interviewed for the South Carolina. Dodged job. a bullet there, I think you could say also. Yeah, but it just, you know, for him to make that leap and know that, okay, I'm going to come here with Dan. I'm not going to be the OC right away, but he's eventually going to give me that opportunity to get that title. He got it this year, and then he's making the most of it because all these programs are going to look at him, especially the ones that suck on offense or don't have a good quarterback, and they're going to say, this guy can come in here and fix that for us, and he's learned from the best. So kudos to Johnson for the job that he's done, and I think he's going to get more of those opportunities moving forward. When we come back from this final break, Graham and I are going to get into some recruiting talk, and we'll discuss the comments from Johnson as well as Dan Mullen about how the staff is dealing with the early signing period next Wednesday while also having to prepare for an SEC championship game. We'll be right back after this break. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrated. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast with Zach and Graham. And now let's get into some recruiting talk, which I have to think right now is going well for the Gators, considering the fact that they are SEC East champs. They're heading back to Atlanta. Everybody loves them. And I have to think recruits do too. Yeah, absolutely. You could even make the case, though, that they are overperforming. And Dan Mullen kind of said as much after the Tennessee game, Zach. This is a strange year. When I called you on the phone after the game, I was like, yo, no, no recruits have taken any official visits. <laughs> and you kind of were like, what? It's wild when you think of it. When like you that. think of it, these kids are about to go to a school. They're about to sign on the dotted line. And yeah, I know the transfer portal lets you get out of that. And Dan Mullen said that as well. I think there's going to be a lot more transfers in the future the way the current setup is. Well, especially if they pass the rule where you can get the one free transfer. That's, a, that's another one coming in. And then you add in 2020 has made it so that no prospects can take official visits. Yes, prospects have taken a lot of unofficial visits. And early before the pandemic really ruined all of our lives this year, kids were able to be on campus for junior day. And yeah. as you know, they were there for two of them. And you know, kudos to Florida, to their credit, for taking advantage of those early opportunities. And they did. And they absolutely did. Until March 7th, I think they had three. And they were getting more guys on campus than pretty much any other program, or as well as any other program had been doing. So you could make an argument that they haven't really, like I said, been able to fully capitalize on being the leader of the SEC East. and Having this high-powered offense with Heisman Trophy candidates. And building new facilities that have, let's mention, have not really been delayed by the no, pandemic. They're rolling along. They were banking on having kids who are going to come in and benefit from those facilities, being able to see larger renderings, yeah. take sights of how big it would be, go out to McKeithen Stadium where it is right now that's being torn down and see what it's going to look like, how big it is. I mean, Florida was banking on a lot of in-person stuff yeah. and missing out of that you got to know that that's kind of bothering Dan Mullen just a little you bit. You see this field over there? That's where your guy's going to be hanging out by the cabana. That stuff's all virtual. You know, Zach, the way that they were doing it was some guy would walk through 
the tunnels underneath with FaceTime with parents of being yeah. like, and here's the weight room. It, it was a it's virtual, not the same experience. It's not the experience at all. You don't get that personal family oriented vibe that Florida's recruiting staff and coaching staff has gone for. I will say, and, and you got to give them credit, and Mullen and Brian Johnson both did. We got a great recruiting staff, they said. And I think to their credit of getting them on campus early in this cycle because that paid dividends, but just also the fact that this staff is now in its third season and they've been here for now multiple years, and you know recruiting starts in eighth, ninth grade. So a lot of these guys had heard from the staff. Many of them had already made it to campus even before the junior days. They had attended games during the 2019 season. But again, that's all work that Florida put in. They had to get those guys to campus. They had to build those relationships then. I think that's paying dividends now. Whereas other coaches either don't know them as well or maybe newer to their school or didn't take advantage of the junior days that they could have at the start of the cycle – they're kind of scrambling probably this fall, and especially down here uh, as we approach the early signing period. And the Gators, meanwhile, have 26 commitments, the number six class in the country, according to Rivals.com. And they've had basically their class intact for several months now. And I think that as difficult and maybe perhaps unfair it is for them to have to deal with a signing day while having to prepare for a game. And for them, it's it's an SEC championship. I mean, because there's going to be other conference teams that are doing the same thing. They got a game on sa- on Saturday of the 19th, and they'll have to worry about signing prospects. But for Florida, I think because their commitments are set in stone, they basically know who they're going to sign, and they have a staff that's kind of got all their ducks in a row, it's not going to be as hectic and stressful a, of a day as it will be for many other programs. Absolutely not. It, it, it justifies why people like you and me and the other people who cover recruit, recruiting in this area were saying things even two years ago, giving Florida their credit for jumping out to a very hot start yeah. on the 2021 and the 2022 classes even. And I'm not out here saying that anyone foresaw what was going to happen this year. You're just, not, you're just recruiting hard. But you're just recruiting hard. You're getting a jump on it. And when we were combining it, and I know I said this last week with the parallels of what Chip Kelly, the lack of what Chip Kelly was doing at UCLA, <laughs> combined with the fact that Dan Mullen was getting some of the top 2021 prospects to commit early, like Bryce Langston, who I know opened it back up. But getting that Vanguard trio early, getting a lot of in-state guys, definitely is paying dividends even right now because those guys got on campus. Yeah. They got to see the program and that coaching staff has had continuity, so you're not really having to sell them on anything new. Yeah, and it's I think all the first-year coaches around the country that had the spring robbed from them. They couldn't get guys for their spring games. They couldn't have summer camps in June, which every school has. And then they couldn't get guys to games this season where, again, Florida staff had had that opportunity in in years. And looking at their commitment list, I'd be willing to wager that most of these guys – have already made it to campus, have already had visits and like met with the staff in person. So they're not maybe missing as much as others. Um, and I said this to Brian Johnson, you know, look, now the early signing period is National Signing Day. And now what used to be National Signing Day is the late signing period. So this is it. Like all the stress and craziness that you folks who followed recruiting for years can remember and think of on the first Wednesday in February that was National Signing Day – That's mid-December now. And for most teams and for a lot of fan bases that fall recruiting, that day can kind of be as hectic as it always used to be. But for Florida, these 
however many years they've been doing the early signing period, pretty much every day has been uneventful. And there were maybe some guys that were announcing that day that Florida landed like the Lakeland Trio. But for the most part, it's been kind of smooth sailing. And I think for this year, because of everything going on, they're, they're going to be in, in much better shape because they have to also prepare for Alabama. The last big one I can really remember has to be Emory Jones, who Dan Mullen had three full weeks nearly after accepting the job to go in there, steal some food off the table from other coaches trying to come through. That's a great recruiting and make story. That, absolutely it was. I mean, you're not going to get that this year. And, you know, maybe that's a lack of excitement in some sense, but Florida doesn't have to rely on those program-changing moves necessarily, and that has to give you a little bit of comfort. Zach, I was also thinking about this. I know it's not early signing day, but you're not really going to have the anxiety of waking up that Wednesday morning and wondering if Florida's going to get C.J. Henderson, Kamari Gamble, you know, ones that came down to the absolute wire, Sean Davis, guys that decided on that final day. We've seen that in the last five years absolutely dissipate, and if you're one of those programs that every single year expects to be in the top five consideration, you don't want to be relying on that last Wednesday to shore up your class. Florida does benefit from the early work that they did, that they're not going to be distracted from their LSU and their Alabama preparation with trying to call these kids at 6 in the morning and say, please sign with me. And Graham, you know there are those fans out there that for the past couple years when there's been not a lot of news on early signing day or or signing day, in the first Wednesday in February, they've kind of been disappointed. Mm -hmm. It's been a bit of a downer. Mm. And I think you should look at that as, hey, this staff was able to kick their feet up while everybody else scrambled. Now, you still want to close. If there's still some top targets out there that are deciding, you want to close on those guys. And I mentioned the 26 commitments. We'll see what it looks like next Wednesday. Because of the year that they've had and where they're headed with Atlanta, a potential college football playoff berth, maybe there's some flips or surprises still to come. And if it's not next Wednesday, maybe the, the last wins or the last signing day. Um, but I think for this staff, for them to navigate through all this, they've not only done it on the football field, but they've done it on the recruiting trail. And that's the reason why, Graham, this program is in a much healthier place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can go back to, like you said, you never really want to have to scramble to sign someone just to fill that spot at the last second. If you're one of these top 10 teams, normally you maybe, and I hate to say it like this, are maybe pushing out a lower ranked guy <laughs> in your class to flip one of those high value prospects that may be wavering on signing day. And if you are in a position like Florida, you're more likely than not going to be gaining a value prospect than losing one at the last second. I already mentioned, you know, the C.J. Henderson thing from a few years ago. That same cycle, Florida had to take a, I hate to say it, a two-star linebacker just to hit their numbers, what they wanted to hit in that class. No longer you're seeing that, and, and that's absolutely, like you said, a sign that this program is in a much more viable, viable position for success on the field. Yep, and next week we will get you guys ready for the early signing period, or National Signing Day as I like to refer to it now. We'll preview kind of the guys that are making their decision that Wednesday and, of course, provide you with a ton of coverage on Gatorsports.com. We'll also join you guys later this week to preview the Florida LSU game. We'll have a guest on to get some perspective on the Tigers, and we will also talk about Senior Day. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Alaverde.